0: Everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, Today, I'm speaking with Ines Hamdan. Ines is a uh, writer from Sweden, and I recently read an article she wrote in Aereo Magazine about how she is a non-white white white feminist. So, I wanted to talk to her about that. So, hi, Ines. Hi, thanks for coming on.
1: Hi, Omer. Thanks for having me. No problem.
0: Um, Yeah, so I mentioned that article, Aereo. Uh, I've been following you a little bit on Twitter recently uh, for a while now, and aside from your hate of Ayn Rand. You talk <laughs> a bit about this stuff. Um, so, like the non-white white feminists, because I've seen this before. Um, a friend of mine, Sarah Hader, she'd recently written a, a thread on uh, intersectionality, and basically, after the end of it, a lot of people told her, "Well, you're just acting white or sounding white." And I mean, you know, Sarah's from Pakistan; like, was born in Pakistan, I think, and she was raised in the U.S. It's like, you know, obviously, she's not white. So, if you want to get into that, and, like, your, if you want to talk about your article, and, like, and you pretty much lay it out in your article why you wrote it, but if you want to get into all that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, the the saying, I'm a non-white, white feminist, is an, abs- like, it, it sounds so absurd, and it is absurd, and the fact that it can make sense in any way shows that we today are so far removed from using uh, political labels in the right way. So I, uh, like your friends, our hater, um, have been called a white feminist, or like uh, been uh, accused of my attitudes being such as a white feminist. And for me, I've always been confused about that because it's like, I live in Sweden, first of all, and Those who accuse me of that are usually, of course, white. Because just statistically, (laughs) I engage with more white people. (laughs) And uh, every time this has happened, I, I just look at them for a while and I'm like waiting for it to kick in. And every time what happens is they say, oh, what I mean is that you're liberal Feminists, or they say something, or like, no, you're not white. We're just saying you have adopted white feminists as an attitude. It's like uh, a step uh, further away from calling me like uh, uh, like as someone who uh, who fights for white supremacy. It's like yeah. that borderline kind of attitude, uh, and for me this hasn't struck right because what does this uh, phrase I'm a non-white white white feminist mean? First of the first part is I'm non-white for me that is extremely unimportant like (laughs) for the post for for the most part of my life I didn't even like recognize that I was a person of color It, it just like one day I woke up and was like oh mom I think I'm not white. And she was like, no shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, I grew up in Canada and especially, and that was, my family moved there in December of 75. And my father specifically moved us to a neighborhood that, like it was starting to get wide, So there was starting to be a small ghetto of South Asians. My father said, I didn't leave India to come to a small India in Canada. You know, he goes, I want my kids to be paid. <laughs> so he moved us to a neighborhood that was pretty much, you know, white Canadians, right? Um, the term like yes. WASP, like white Anglo Saxon Protestant, you know, like that's what it was. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's Quebec, so there's a few Catholics. Um, yeah. I mean, my high school, I think my grad class had maybe 10 people that weren't white. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I mean, I get that. Like, but it never was an issue for me. Like, growing up, it was an issue. I mean, every now and then there was, you know, you, you get the occasional racist asshole. But, of course. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't an issue. Like, it, the color of the skin was never an issue until maybe about 15 years ago. You know? Mm. Okay, and I should say, it wasn't an issue recently. Like, yes, if you go back to the 50s and the 60s and whatever, you know, you, you, there was issues. But, like, you know, growing up, there was nothing.
1: Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I absolutely sympathize with that because... I grew up in a predominantly migrant area. Yeah. And here, like, I can make it on Arabic. I don't need e- Swedish, I don't need English. I can just make it with Arabic around my neighborhood. And <laughs> that should tell you how segregated it actually is. And it was actually in high school where, where, where when I intentionally chose uh, a more... Uh, Yeah, a high school that was more uh, mixed and had like uh, students from different backgrounds to actually take a step out of segregation. I had to do that choice consciously. Uh, So yeah.
0: Yeah, but like okay, so in your article, you you know, and I've seen this before. uh, You know, you like you talked about someone calling you a white feminist, and it's like what you're talking about, like oh, it's the attitude, and it's. I've read this so many times and it, you know, white ways of knowing, right? Oh, oh, that's, you know, science is a white way of knowing. Reason and logic are a white way of knowing. And it, and these are people who call themselves anti racist, right? And I'm like, you know, like, how is that a white way of knowing? How are you saying that reason and logic is beyond people who aren't white? Um, you know, or there's a book I read. I don't know. The last few months called acting white, and mm. it's telling you how not to act white and what acting white is. I mean, there's there's sections in the book about, about how Obama acted white, and you shouldn't act <laughs> like that, and you shouldn't dress white. <laughs> and okay, this again reminds me of the stuff it, you can see it in, um, you know, in books. You can see it like the, the attitude that was around. Then there was a, they used a term called uppity, so they'd say, "Oh, these uppity," you know n-words right like they're 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 acting like mm-hmm. they're betters they're acting white it's it's the same exact attitude yeah but, but these people are talking about, oh yes you know we're we're all for community love it's like what the hell are you talking about oh they like this stuff
1: exactly uh.
0: and i find that more insulting than some guy in a kkk hood calling me a packy <laughs> yeah because i expect that from the guy in the kkk hood and i don't expect any better but like someone who's talking about being you know, open and inclusive and all of a sudden if I don't think the right way then all I don't belong to whatever their inclusion is.
1: Yeah. No, I, I fully uh, understand where you're coming from because like the second part of the I'm a non-white, white feminist is a white feminist part yeah. and the issue with that is that term, white feminist has so many meanings that it's absurd. Like on one hand it means feminism uh, by the upper-class white uh, feminists. And what they mean by that is that it, they are so privileged that they can't see the issues of minorities. <laughs> the irony with that is that the those feminists that accuse other people of being white feminists <laughs> are usually so privileged that they are able to... Um, uh, have a relativistic view of equality and freedom and that is where it comes that they say that whiteness is like the same as liberal. Uh, th- they have painted liberal uh, liberalism with whiteness and that way anytime a person that is non-white who is liberal, is just following the footstep of the colonizers or is just uh, brainwashed into the oppressor's ideology. There is no, there is no, if you are a person of color, you're either a traditionalist, like you keep on to your religion, or you're a communist. Other than that, you're brainwashed, you don't know what you're talking about, and you're a victim that they need to educate about how the evil white person has misled you. The funny thing is, they are usually the white ones trying to keep me away from thinking as I want. And it's, like, such an absurd situation because what happens then is that, like... The words don't have a meaning anymore, uh, first of all. Second of all, uh, you you remove the autonomy of the non-white people. Uh, third, you, you relativize, relativize their freedom. You, you, you start uh, going into the territory of, oh, honor culture. That might not be what I want, but I mean, those brown savages, maybe that works for them. And then lastly... What happens then is that all the white people who aren't crazy, they hear that and then they are like, oh, so you're using white as an insult. Oh, so you're attacking me. And on an individual level, that makes them like angry because they can't see the big institutions of like, oh, it's actually (laughs) like nobody's attacking you in the sense that you're going to be in danger on an institutional level. But they feel it like, very closely, if they are in university or whatever, and people are like, "Oh, you're white," as a bad thing, and that in turn makes like makes more people wrongly uh, become more radicalized and more uh, in line with the alt right and the fascist side and for me that's really scary because like nobody has ever the right like nobody is ever right to go to those sides but we we need to see the causality there that when people are activists in such an irresponsible way that they use terms like white uh, as an insult that will lead to more radicalization and that's always has always been so scary for me because whenever i am um, in the presence of such a person, they always tell me, oh, but you always use white as a as an insult. And I'm like, no, I don't. And this is absurd that I should take respons- responsibility for the crimes, quote unquote, of people I don't associate with.
0: Yeah, and it's, okay, The when you're talking about the radicalization, like this is something that I like, think really scares me now because this is, I don't know about Europe, or Sweden, anyways, but in the United States and Canada, this is getting in through into the primary education system. So, in the United States, I believe there's 16 states where some form of critical race theory is being taught from kindergarten till graduation of high school. In Canada, there's three provinces that are doing this full on, and then the rest have a smattering of it. I have a friend of mine who lives in New York City. Uh, he's married to an Asian woman. His kids are, you know, half white, half Asian. He just wrote an article in Medium, well, I don't know, but within the last six months or so, about how his kids were saying that they wished they weren't half white and they were ashamed that they were half white. His kids are in grade school.
1: Yeah.
0: And, I mean, like that radicalization. Um In the 80s, you had a, a huge thing with the gangs in the States and not so much in Canada. And everything that was doing with the, the anti-gang uh programs and, and in reality retaliation to the gangs, there's a whole bunch of skinhead groups that's formed as well, right? Basically just rival gangs. Um, but these guys went after the kids who were disenfranchised, who were loners, who felt marginalized, who felt preyed upon. If you're teaching critical race theory in one form or another to kids from kindergarten to grade 12, and then it continues in university, you're going to have a generation that's marginalized. You're going to have a generation that any kind of extremist, be it ISIS you know, be at this, you know, some skinhead group, Antifa, which I know love of. Um, I mean, you're setting up a generation to be crazy. I mean, in New York City, they're teaching kids, and I've heard this, and I, I can't confirm this, but I have heard that they want to teach it to pre-K. So this is four and five-year-olds. Mm-hmm. I want to teach them that being on time is acting white. Handing in your assignments on time is acting white. <laughs> Like, yeah you know, teachers are told in the states now even in canada to some degree that if a student of color doesn't come in on time or hands in their assignment like you can't punish them that for, because of cultural sensitivity and again that's insulting to that person you don't you say they don't yeah. belong to the same standard you know i don't want to be told that i can't get ahead because unless i get a special treatment because i'm not good enough like screw you like really seriously screw you you know like it, it, no, it's it, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, no, in, in Sweden we have this thing uh, that's actually all, all over the Nordic countries called Jantelagen, which means that you should never see yourself as 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 above anyone. You should always uh, humble yourself, and you should always like be really kind to other people. And that's like part of the Swedish culture that I actually love. But the issue with that is with With that, it comes that many uh, white Swedes have grown up with the like, "Oh, I'm so boring for being white i'm I'm not anything special. and if I ever like feel anything cultural or like celebrate my flag, I'm a fascist. And that's like until two thousand and five, people didn't even the, 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 our national day wasn't even a red day, like it wasn't a holiday, Mm -hmm. it's that uh, extreme here that we are just, we're so non-extreme that it becomes extreme. And the issue with that is that the migrant populations aren't encouraged to have the same attitude. Instead, we're encouraged to have brown pride, we're encouraged to have uh, pride of our culture and uh, wave our flags and I have a huge issue with that, because <laughs> when you see in segregated areas, you, you get rival groups like Sunni and Shias because they start fighting each other at school, and uh, mean, and at the same time they bully anyone who is white, because it's like, you don't have a culture, it becomes like whiteness is blankness, it's nothingness and anyone who has anything above that is more interesting and more spicy if you say it like that and it has created such a weird dynamic here in Sweden because like the Swedes are like we have such a calm and like collected and intellectual culture and view on politics but it's creating a subgroup that Uh, Starts saying things like, "Oh, we're not even allowed to show the Swedish flag without being called uh, being called uh, racist." And like for that reason, I always have like on my Twitter, for example, I always have a Swedish flag as to show it's okay to like the Swedish flag. We're actually quite great. (laughs) We're actually fucking awesome. Uh, And like I'm not one to actually be so uh, visible with my patriotism i'm actually like more of a in heart person Mm -hmm. than in like uh, flashing it but i started doing that to show them that actually it's okay to be proud of your country as long as you're not a racist dipshit it's that simple
0: and you can take pride in okay uh, comparing sweden to canada right yeah now, okay, if you want to go back to the Samoy and the Laplanders and all that, yes, fine, you know, before, before the Germanic tribes came in, we can go back whatever, the 10,000 years or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But Canada, obviously, it's it's a much more recent history. And so the culture that was formed here, mainly English and French, it's basically the same thing, they just hate each other. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, it was mainly English and French. And then later on, you had some Ukrainian and German stuff coming. But they formed that, and it was kind of like the United States as well. The United States went with the melting pot. Melting pot. Unfortunately, we tried the multiculturalism thing, mm-hmm. and it's so I can see if they're saying okay, Canada has no real culture because it's a mix. But then you can, you know, I mean, hockey is Canadian culture, or whatever. But but Sweden has a culture. I mean, they have a history. I mean, you can go back to the Vikings. You can, you know, like I said, the Germanic tribes. You can go back. Yeah. You know, yes the 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 indigenous people of you know like as far as I'm concerned the Germanic tribes up there are indigenous as well. But you know, if you want to go back to like the Samoy and the Laplanders and all that, I mean, there is stuff there. There there there's stuff to be preserved. And then um, I don't know if it was your foreign minister or your prime minister. This is like 2012 or 13, something like that. Along those lines, it said something along the lines of. Oh, what does it matter if Swedish culture disappears? What is Swedish culture? We have not. I mean, how can your leader say yeah. that?
1: Yeah. And for me, like the Swedish culture is like it's a com- the combination of so many things. It's like, oh, we we might might not have something unique to Sweden. Oh, we have meatballs. Congratulations, and that is the attitude many uh, people who are critical to whiteness uh, have, and. I'm like no the, the, the what makes Sweden interesting is the combination of everything. It's like, uh, it's like uh, unique to Sweden. Like every time we say we have this and this and this and this and this in Sweden, everybody's like, no way that goes together. And we're like, yes way, <laughs> we're quite awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, so you you brought up the migrant. So I just I see it in Canada, and I want to compare this with with Sweden. Um, because I mean you always hear it And I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of it Oh my god the, the, the Sweden has become the rape capital of the world Blah 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 blah, And all this But we've had issues in Canada There was a I'm going to get the some of the facts of this wrong uh, I'm going by memory There was an Afghan guy He raped a woman He got a suspended sentence Because he didn't know It was wrong um you know it happens like that again where uh oh, he didn't know that was like you know they didn't know that was part of their culture, like oh, they, you know, part of their culture they didn't know that it was wrong um and this that I think this was one for like molesting little kids in a swimming pool, you know like it's like how can you let these people off just because they don't know um and that creates the animosity right that creates why is there two legal systems um i remember and this and this is not a micro this is not a migration issue it was a first nations woman in calgary and she held up a sign saying i want to kill white people and it was mm-hmm. even under like under canada's hate speech laws and hate crime laws and it wasn't deemed a hate crime mm-hmm. she's in downtown calgary holding up a sign saying i want to kill white people now mm-hmm. If it was a white person saying "I want to kill," whatever, you know, like yeah. like that double standard. I don't like speech laws in the first place, but saying you want to kill someone goes beyond just a expressing opinion. But
1: uh, yeah,
0: in Quebec, I'll give you another example. Of this uh, was there was a priest in two thousand thirteen who, from the pulpit, said some horrific things about gay marriage. And you know, mm. homo- the whole Catholic line, homosexuals are evil, blah 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 blah, like all that, right? Nah, like I'll never have a gay, I'll never perform a gay wedding in my church. Mm. He's not allowed to speak in public anymore, and he was given a six-month suspended sentence. You have Mola mm. saying pretty much the same thing. No issue, none. Like, yo, know, uh, a little tepid word, word from the government. Oh, we'll look into this. This is horrible, but that's about it. You know, there shouldn't be that double standard. If you want those laws, apply them.
1: I absolutely agree, uh, and not this phrase is uh, really used a lot and has lost its meaning. But like the bigotry of low expectations, it becomes, um, and that's really annoying because, yes, in Sweden we have the. Sweden is quite a like unique country. So like when it comes to uh, migrant crime, for first of all, we, we don't do statistics about that. The last time we did it, I think it was the early 2000s, and that's because we don't want racism to occur. And it's like, dear states, if you do actual statistics, it's better than people, uh, like doing their own unscientific statistics uh, that paints us worse. So it's better to actually get the information out there. And what has happened is, like, for example, we have a very soft uh, judicial system. We we focus on rehabilitation. And (laughs) many speak about how Swedish prisons are actually, like, a much better living standards than in most of America <laughs> not to be like that <laughs> and what has happened then is like a rapist could get a prison sentence of two years and even less sometimes there was a guy who live streamed a rape of a disabled person and then like so many things added to that and like he, he just had a uh past of crime and he was a migrant and he got a two- year sentence, I think. And what happens then? Yeah, people are like, yeah, Sweden is becoming Islamized it's uh, it's uh, uh, those people are getting uh, whatever they want. but the issue is it's not separate treatment, it's more of they are exploiting the system that has worked for so long here in Sweden. And the issue with this uh, uh, dogmatic view of multiculturalism is good is that actually, in my experience, the issue isn't uh, the migrant population mostly attacking the majority population. That happens, of course, and that's horrible. But that the uh, migrant population attacks their own. It becomes like... Uh, minority within a minority, whenever you have feminist migrants, LGBTQ migrant, liberal migrants, any person of uh, non-traditional migrant background um, becomes marginalized. And uh, that leads to honor culture, religious extremism, and that usually comes with the second generation more than the first generation because they grow up in an area where they are segregated. They have not made the conscious move to uh, want to come to Sweden. And they look at the outside world and they see that their Swedish peers have a better life. And they're like, why, like, relative to them, I'm oppressed. And it's like, yeah, but in reality, you are one of the most privileged people on earth, and that they don't care about. They're like, I'm oppressed, and that creates extremism on our culture, and that general tendency of hatred towards the majority population, which is so dangerous.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I see a bit of that here in Canada, I and mean, more than a bit. But when I like, I, I did some work in, um, I did like when I was working overseas, I. Spent some time in the UK and France. One of my cousins who lives in the UK, her and her husband own a law firm. They hire, they I believe they employ about a hundred lawyers plus plus all all the staff that goes with it. Like these people have done well. Like they're not hurting for money. They're not you know they, they like I said they're, they're they're lawyers. They own a firm. They obviously got standing. And they they still say oh they oh they don't accept us. You know you'll you'll never be friends with them and. At that point, I was working with military and, I, you know, friends in the British military and friends who were contractors or were British who used to be, ex I said, and I, at that time when he was telling me this, I happened to be in the UK to be going to a wedding of one of the people I was working with. And he's like, oh, they'll never invite you to a wedding. They'll never, I'm, said, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm going to a wedding. And, you know, okay, whatever. You can't talk about this without being called racist. If you look at, yeah. uh, just look at the UK. Hindus, Sikhs, assimilate fairly well. The Muslim population, and I want to say mainly from South Asia, because I think that's what mostly it is in the UK, is having problems assimilating. Um, And you should be able to talk about that. You should be able to say, why aren't you assimilating? And then when you look, you're, you're talking about you can stay in a neighborhood and speak Arabic. There's neighborhoods here where, you know, I'm from India, family from India, and Pakistan, they speak Urdu. There's neighborhoods here where you can just get away with pure Urdu. Um, I think there was just a recent poll in the UK, and it was something like, I may get the number wrong, but it was over 50%, but I think it was like 57, 58% of, was it, Pakistani women don't speak English in the UK. Mm. That's a huge problem. Like, if you can't assimilate... If, you, if you're taught not to assimilate, and it, it should be not taught to assimilate. It should just be taught what the values are and given the choice and you should take them. Like, those are better values. Like, I remember when my parents right. came to Canada in, like I said, it was 75. It was a two-week course offered to immigrants. And it wasn't like, you know, don't jaywalk this. And that. It was just basically, basic, these are the human rights in Canada. You know, don't, don't force your beliefs on other people. Like, just basic things like that but they cut that because there's not enough funding, right? So now it's, oh, we accept everyone, all your cultures are the same, do whatever you please. And that's where you get the clashes.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, that's absolutely true. Like, what I wanna say about that is uh, Sweden is actually extremely good at assimilating people. We have people from all backgrounds uh, if you just drive into town, out from the segregated areas, you get people from all over the world, and they are assimilated to Swedish culture. That uh, that I think is is amazing, and it it makes life here more interesting. Actually, like uh, I don't want to live in a purely uh, one ethno uh, uh, ethnic groups uh, community. It's really boring. It's more, much more fun to uh, mix with people from different backgrounds, if not just for, like, the food and the, the clothes and the languages. It's much more fun to live that way. But uh, then you, uh, what has happened in Sweden is that we have taken a burden much more than we can bear during the migration crisis. Like, we have had our doors open. We have not had a migration system. Like, anyone can come in. And uh, take part of our welfare state, and that has been problematic. Like it's amazing that we try to help, but when you bring in an additional ten percent of your population, it's uh, a little bit problematic. Especially when you are a welfare state and a quite calm and collected, and uh, yeah, generally non uh, non-combative people. Like we, we really, really. Introverted in Sweden, anyone who visits us here will tell you that. Oh, when I was at the bus, everybody was called to me, and it's like, no, nobody no, they weren't called to you, they're called in general. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: oh, yeah, whatever. If you think about that about the Swedes, go meet a Finn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so this has created like the fact that even we, even though we are amazing at integrating people, those like the load is so big that they have we have created as segregated areas. And for what you said about like women not being able to speak, that's uh, part of my uh, the work I write about is how women from migrant background come to countries like Sweden and. They don't speak the language, and they live in segregated areas, and they don't have family. What happens then? They are much more oppressed in Sweden than they were in their home country. Why? Because here, they not not only are married to a patriarchal uh, culture, they also don't speak the language, so they can't reach out to anyone, they don't have an education that's counted, And they uh, don't have relatives they can turn to. And they don't know the system and the structure and the laws. And what happens there is that the woman finds herself totally dependent on her man. And she becomes like just a child factory that births children. And they can go out and get integrated. And the father can go out and get integrated. But so often the woman... Uh, lives pretty much under uh, between four walls uh in an in a country where she doesn't know anything or anyone and that's because we gave them gave them like the freedom to not assimilate and not uh, learn the language and stuff like that and that's so damaging if the woman finds herself in an abusive relationship or an exploitative relationship there's even so many stories about men taking up loans in their women's uh, names and then they divorce and the woman finds herself in incre- like a lot of debt and it's like i didn't know what i was signing and he, he, he wrote my name for me and everything like that, but we can't do anything about it because you wrote your name and you can send it to a loan. And, like, it's so easy to exploit women who don't even have a primary grade of education about the language or the culture.
0: Okay, this point that you're bringing up, because um, it's something you brought up in, in that article as well, and it's, it, and it's something I said flippantly once, but I kind of stand by it intersectionality so go back to crenshaw's i know she wrote one before she wrote mapping the margins and i can't remember that uh i can't remember I, I don't i don't think i've read it so i have to look it up but when she calls it mapping the margins she brought up some really good points like there 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 was a need to recognize that there was a way you could be sexist and racist and not look like you aren't you know like you can look like you can be that way but you can show that you're not because look we've got plenty of women we've got plenty of you know minorities you just don't have that intersection between of women and minorities working at the same time there's but then when she when she wedded it to critical theory and you know critical race theory and all that that's where so, you know she didn't map the margins she gerrymandered she just it, it, the white because a problem like you what you're mentioning that a migrant woman who comes over who gets put in these segregated areas they're put in those segregated areas Oh, we want you know we want to be accepting. We want to you know, we want to be intersectional, blah blah blah. But you're creating a system whereby she can't get out of that, and she's stuck in that because again, it's something out of their language. Like you know, you have to be the authentic X. You know, you have to have the authentic X identity, and they, and they redefine what authentic means. They redefine what identity means. And again, it's normally a lot of these upper-class or upper-middle-class board white housewives who are pushing this on like minority women who are saying, mm. this is what you need to be. And they think they're doing good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, in democracy, it's usually not just in Sweden. We have an obligation of 10-year education. Mm. Yet we don't... Why we give that to children because we, we we know they need to become citizens that can make their own choices in a democracy we don't make that demand of migrants and uh, when you have that you you really can't say that these women live in a democracy because if you have your freedoms but they are out of reach then you don't have your freedoms like it's uh, like a really simple uh, view of liberalism like If you have, if you're free to do something, but you physically can't, like if you tell a blind person you are free to read as many books as you want, it's just fucked up. You should provide them with books that they can read. (laughs) And the same here. If you you tell a woman you can go out and work and stuff like that, but you don't have an education, you don't have the language, you don't have any baggage that should help you, well, they're not going to make it. And it's uh, so sad. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. I don't want to stay on this too long because it can get depressing. But yeah. I read about this in the Netherlands. I don't know what it was like in Sweden. Again, you know, I'm, I'm reading news stories. I, I, I can't say 100%. but They were talking about yeah. the issues in the Netherlands of child brides. And so because they hadn't discussed child brides, And, you know, you can't talk about that. That's just their culture. How dare you? When you had all the refugees coming in, you know, 2015, 2016, you had cases of, you know, there was one I read about, um, and there was others. She was, I think she was 14 or 15. Her husband uh, was 21, 22, so it wasn't a huge difference. But still, she's like 14 or 15, and she was expecting her third child. Now... Do you break that family up? Because he's obviously raping a minor. You know, you can't put it any other way. Uh, and then you have another teen mother that the state has to look after. Like, like, how do you deal with that? And by not speaking about those issues, when you have that come to your door, you've created... Okay, obviously Sweden can't go into uh, Yemen and stop child marriages. They can't go into a pocket... You know, like, you, you can't do that. But... If you've never talked about it, when that comes to your door, you have no way of dealing with it. And you're just kind of like, okay, we'll put a little band aid on it and we'll hope it works. And then, you know, or it's like that little story about in the Netherlands, little boy puts his finger in the dike hoping to hold the water back, right? I mean, you know, that's basically all it is.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the So, with the thing with uh, sh- like uh, children rights and stuff like that, because like many of these people have double citizenship and um, stuff like that, what happens is that the, it's the teachers that have, the, have to look out for the children. Uh, so like I've actually worked uh, as a teacher for a year. And uh, after the summer break, uh, all of us teachers are afraid about which child has disappeared. Which child will never come back? And it's not that it happens every year and stuff like that, but it can happen. And that is what's so frightening. Uh, I worked with sixth grade children, and uh, there was still a, a fear that some of the children would not come back. Uh, and that, that is what I try to speak about in my article that intersectionality, the core idea of that is actually a good idea because when you speak about these women, when you speak about these children, we need to factor in that they need special ways to free them. Like, we can't just tell them, like, if you have a, a migrant woman who is very segregated and then another woman who's in an abusive relationship, those two women can't be helped in the same way. You need to have a uh, intersectional lens where you... Uh, understand that the, the the integrated woman just needs somebody to go to and a place and a place to feel secure and to build herself up again. But with the seg- segregated woman, what you need there is the, uh, to teach her the language, the culture. That's a much longer process. And when you have intersectionality in that pers- in that way, it's extremely helpful because you suddenly. Uh, can help people much more effectively. But uh, what intersectionality sadly has become is accepting any culture, uh, no matter how terrible it is, and having a very passive stance towards oppression and actually, like generally, not being intersectional. It's <laughs> so weird that like those who speak about intersectionality are also the ones who who, who uh, s- scream the loudest for the same remedy for everyone. Yep. And yeah. for me, that's weird.
0: Yeah. Okay. And the the intersectionality thing again. So I've I got back to North America in two thousand fourteen, and I'd been in war zones and stuff. Um, so I didn't have a lot of social media, and, he, and the little I did, it was to keep in touch with my friends and stuff. I, I didn't pay attention to the culture war and whatever. So I come back in two thousand fourteen, and all of a sudden, I just seen this insanity. I got a poli-sci background. Uh, I read some postmodernism in university. You know, I kept hearing calling it. Post- I'm like, sort of, but it's not quite right. But I read some. I wasn't an expert. I don't you know. But then I started reading the critical race stuff and the intersectionality (laughs) stuff. And, you know, the first thing I thought is like, when did we get blasphemy laws? Like, when did we get blasphemy laws again? Because that's all, like everything, it just sounded, and uh, uh, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, James Lindsay, he did this really good article in *Ariel* about the the postmodern faith of social justice and how it acts like a religion. And I think he does a really good job. And then taken from that, I said, okay, you look at it as a quasi-religion,
1: intersectionality
0: has become like Christianity, like, like a blanket term like Christianity. Then you have critical race theory, you know, gender theory, queer theory. Those are like your Protestants, your Catholics, your Baptists, you know, like, like that's how I see it now. Intersectionality is that religion. It's It's the framework that the other ones are built off of. And even though, like, I mean, I think critical race theory, the, Derek Bell wrote his papers way well before um, even Audre Lord's paper, you know, uh, uh, The Master's Tools, right? And then def- certainly before uh, Crenshaw's stuff. So, but I think now intersection, like, everything has become intersectional. All these different theories have become intersectional. And they work sort of the same, but they have slight differences. Like the way queer theory works with identity and the way critical race theory works with identity are similar, but they're not quite the same. So it's kind of like, you know, Christ in Protestantism and Christ in Catholicism with the Trinity and all that, right? It's something, things yeah. like that. I don't know if I'm even doing a good job of explaining that or I don't even know if it makes sense, but that's the way I read this stuff right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I, uh, I, I can say about the, um there's actually another a writer in sweden that's a journalist that's named ivar parvi uh, who, who wrote about how lund university which where i go had a um, there was a woman that a uh, bio- bi- biologist that studied frogs. and she wouldn't get funding unless she had a feminist perspective in her paper about it <laughs> um it's so weird that that uh, demand was even ever put on it because wherever you go now there's racial or feminist uh perspective like if, there's a race race or feminist um lens that need to be shed on that subject and some subjects like math so and, and stuff like that they don't need that and and it has destroyed actually uh studies about like post colonialism and feminism and Stuff like that actually I think are important. Like I I read a book, Why Nations Fail, that looked critically at uh, uh, the damage uh, caused by uh, imperialism and colonization and how that has uh, created illiberal states in, among others, the Middle East. And that was really interesting to me because for the first time I actually read something that used colonialism in a actual like uh, in a way that actually proved something, and they also spoke about the Ottoman Empire, how that contributed to the Middle East being as fucked up as it is today, and they actually had, a, if I may say this word, objective uh, analysis <laughs> of colonialism. Uh, I'm
0: sorry, yeah, object. Objectives become a bad word.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, excuse my French objective, Um yeah. Uh, and for the first time, I actually got interested in reading colon- uh, about, like, uh, post-colonial studies and stuff like that, but everything I found there was, I'm sorry, but absolute trash. And it's really sad. Okay,
0: some of the stuff I'm reading right now coming out of the U.S., and I'm sure it's going to make it to other places... Um, well there's two things. One is if you're a migrant who's migrated, so let's just stick with the black black population because this is where it first came from. so if you if you if your' family or you migrated from Africa to the United States in let's say the '80s or the 90's and your family's done well, well, you've accepted whiteness, you don't have an authentic black experience because you didn't come over as slaves or your family didn't come over as slaves, you didn't ex- experience segregation, you didn't experience Jim Crow, so you're not really black in America, okay. Yeah. That's insane. Another thing that I've heard, and this is coming straight out of post-colonial theory, is the slaves that were brought over to the United States, because their labor helped the colonizers, they were part of the oppressor class and they helped in the genocide of the Native Americans. Oh no. Like, I mean, who does that help? Like who is that helping? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, know, and, and, and how do you think of something like that? Like what warped twisted mind? Aside from like a member of the KKK or something, would want to cope with something (laughs) like that. Like, I'm sorry, but that's that's
1: horrible. It creates this like (laughs) uh, bubble where more and more absurd. Like they have something that kind of makes sense, like intersectionality. On that they build on something, and on that they build. And at, at, at the end, you get something so absurd that when you press somebody about why do you believe this, like why do you believe that. Racist, like white people can't be racist. They will not be able to defend their ideas because it's like built on such misunderstanding of the world in a bum, in a bubble but on their own in an academic academic bubble. And when that even the absurdity of the academic bubble goes out to the mainstream, it becomes even less. Like, it makes even less sense. And it's so absurd and insane that, like, Sweden was actually in the front line of um, uh, uh, race um, biology. I've forgotten what the name is. But, yeah, academic studies about race in the early 1900s. Like eugenics? Today, eugenics, yeah. Uh, And today, we are, like... And then it was like the same way. You need to have a racial perspective in a bad way on everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today, it's I, I'm not uh, like in any way saying those two are equal, but we have a uh, gender perspective on everything. Wow. And it's like both of them are pseudosciences. Wow. But for me, anyways. And it's insane that you have this dogma in university and we should have learned from our history.
0: Okay, we, we have... I think it's going past universities. I mean, the Pulitzer organization, um, the organization that does Pulitzer Prizes just put out their new mission statement. And they want all journalism to be activism and they want it through the racial lens and all that. And that's basically how they're going to give out prizes. That's why the 1619 Project just won the Pulitzer Prize, a revisionist history.
1: Right.
0: The government of Canada, so after Trudeau got re-elected uh, with a minority government, thank God, um, In December, he renamed the Ministry of Multiculturalism to the Ministry of Diversity, Inclusion, and Youth. Mm. They have two mandates. One of them is to set up an anti-black racism secretariat, and they're using Mm. critical race theory for that. Um, And the other mandate this ministry has is to ensure that every single government policy and all other ministries use a gender-based plus analysis all policies, mm. all government regulations. So the Ministry of Fisheries has to do a gender-based analysis on any any policy proposal for fisheries. Now, if that has mm. to do with hiring, you know, people to go fish, maybe fine. You want to, have, but you can't force women to go fish if they don't want to go fish. You know, like <laughs> what you're going to have half the men, d- you know, d- decide that they identify as women. I, I, I don't know. I, I like I. Like, how do you do that? How do you do a gender-based analysis for mining or forestry? Yeah. You know, like, people talk about, oh, separate church and state, but I'm like, we have dogma in state now. We have the dogma of intersectionality and queer theory in the state. I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just rant a little bit more here. They, they have a new law that just passed. On the surface of it, it sounds awesome. Outlaw conversion therapy. But if you read into Mm. it, it's if a teacher or someone, if a kid says, I'm trans, and someone tries to, like, maybe, okay, you might have gender dysphoria, you might have something else. That is included in conversion therapy. You know, Mm. they, they, I'm not saying they do surgeries as young as 11 or whatever, but they're starting to give hormone blockers to kids in their, you know, 12, 13. I don't think Mm. kids, you can affirm whatever you want. But don't start giving hormone blockers to kids. And when you say, and if you're giving a child and their parents information on that, that is not a conversion therapy. But the way the law is being implemented, it can it can sound like that. Ontario had this for a couple of years now. And they had a kid recently, I think it was last year, autistic kid, six years old, mm. walked is going to a new school, walks into the wrong washroom, walks out, a teacher sees him and says, oh, so have you told your parents... Your ex now instead of y and he goes why would i say that because you know i think it was a boy and they said oh you, you told your parents you're growing why would i say that they get angry they get angry and because of ontario's laws that kid was taken away and held by child protective services for three days before they could get it sorted out autistic kid like these laws are insane and this is in government now in canada u.s congress passed something similar but it's not as you know doesn't have as much power as the one in Canada. Washington state has the same thing. Like yeah. this is crazy. This is not just some university thing anymore. It's it's everywhere. Uh, uh,
1: but if I may say like still many people I feel who, who criticize these things especially on the right, they exaggerate the power these people have. And and, and that's something I really feel is important to say because uh, while these people are crazy, and they do much harm, and all of that, they are not to be equalized with fascists. They are not to be uh, like in any way compared to uh, extremists of that sort. Because these people, in some sense, ha- come from a good place. And that is really what's sad about it. When, when somebody comes from a good place and does more harm than good, and that uh, that that's always what I feel is so sad about these things because I'm trying to tell them, I understand that you're trying to be anti-racist and a, a feminist ally and all of that, but your helping is not doing anything. You're you're actually making more damage. But yeah, it, it and that creates that it becomes really dogmatic, but. Then, for the most part, people on the left, people that are liberal, people who are in uh, um, uh, are are in university, it's extremely important that we stress that most of them are sane, not insane people. Like they they are normal people who can think and reason, and they are not leading this.
0: Okay, no, I, okay, one hundred percent, I 100% agree with you that the the fact that it's in government in Canada scares me because it's in government now, right? That that's that's different than yeah. you know. And on universities as well, because I've spoken with uh, you know a couple of people in academia yeah. and stuff. I realize it's more administration than it is students, and it's only faculty from certain departments. That it's you know, like if you have a gender gender studies department, yeah, fine. They're pretty much all like that. <laughs> Sociology, yeah. You know, you might have some, not others. Like you know, the yeah. So it's, I, I fully realize that it's it's like I said, when it starts getting into government, when it starts getting into things like I said, the Pulitzer organization. That's not a small organization. The ACLU yeah. as well recently, you know, is getting they're saying, you know, for the the Title IX thing in the United States, oh, for rape cases you don't really you know, they're trying to get away from um uh, they're trying to get away from the, the, the like due process for rape cases on universities. And the ACLU is mm-hmm. backing this. That's a civil liberties union. They're backing getting away from due process. I mean that that the ACLU is not a small thing. Right? And yeah. I agree with you that this, like, I've always talked about the overcorrection because like, I am, you know, if the left scares me, yeah, the right terrifies <laughs> me, okay? Then, yeah. Okay, I don't have a problem saying that, and I'm afraid of the overcorrection, but I see this stuff, this intersectional stuff, the the critical race theory, all, all the whole, all of it together. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Rauch's book in, um, like, in the early 90s, Kindly Inquisitors, you know, he calls it the humanitarian threat to liberal science, and this is what it is. It's like, well, don't you want to fight racism? Don't you want to fight misogyny Yeah, most normal people do but my whole argument is what you're doing is not fighting it, it's just helping stoke those fires if you want to help, let's help And and we we can't help by stifling speech we can't help by saying, oh you can't discuss this like when Charles Murray wrote his book The Bell Curve and the whole IQ and race thing happened if you shut that up, you're going to leave it to the Stefan Molyneux of the world to discuss IQ and race and you don't want that (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, what's funny here is <laughs> all I can think about with this conversation is actually, funnily enough, and uh, the Office quote where Michael Scott says, "What is what is better than quality? Equality." <laughs> and it's like that's how everything here strikes me. It's like. <laughs> uh, uh, That's the issue with it. Like, for example, now in Sweden, we have something called Melodifestivalen, which is like a preparation for the Eurovision. Mm -hmm. And we have put a gender quota on who gets to participate. And uh, I think also a sexuality quota. Uh, I'm not so much into it, but it's really hilarious. Like, the people who want to be inclusive, now they're like, oh, to, to be inclusive, we need to have singers from uh, that like uh, uh, inclusive gender wise instead of having like the best singer and like Sweden as you may know we're amazing at Eurovision we have had abba among others <laughs> and <laughs> uh, it's really sad to see that we, we somehow need anything more than the quality we, we have presented but still, like, what I, I even in administration, when you have that draws and stuff like that, I, I need to, like, stress that usually that's just on paper <laughs> and really is just on paper. For example, our military here has had a campaign to try to include women and uh, LGBTQ people. And that's amazing. But, like, they have uh, had some, uh, like, the future is female kind of slogans and stuff. But when you actually get to the military in Sweden, it's serious shit. There's no gendered uh, stuff. There's no uh, cozy um, safe place or stuff. It's on paper. And when it comes to work, that's actually, actually something I, I love with Sweden a lot. When it comes to work, it's work time. And I hope that uh, we don't go so far in Sweden uh, with this absurdity that work time becomes that we need to like become racist or something like that. Because... That is what many people think. But I I hope that it's become like, we just ignore these bullshit laws or ideas or dogmas or uh, uh, guidelines.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, let's just go back to the Martin Luther King ethic where you treat people by the content (laughs) of their character. And again, with that, yes, you can generalize to some extent, you know, in, and when I say generalize, you can say, okay, you know, so I'll stick with uh, Canada, and the United States, because I know that a lot better. So you know, so, uh, rural South people who are poor in the rural South have these issues. People who are poor in urban centers have these issues. I mean, you can generalize like that, right? Each individual yeah. person might not be like that, but to say this is the poor black experience in the, in the United States, <laughs> someone living in rural Alabama and someone living in the projects in new york city has two completely different experiences aside from the fact that they're poor and they're black which you know fine whatever but you cannot say that this is the authentic experience i mean we should start talking about the individual and giving the individual the responsibility for their actions and Mm -hmm. yes you can generalize for groups when you're trying to make policy and stuff like that you can't do it you know Canada's got 37 million people. They cannot make 37 million different policies, right? You can make certain policies. When you find deficiencies in that, then you can make an exception and stuff. I mean, I don't know where we've gone from that to just saying, okay, well, uh, we're going to, you know, everything's a social construct. So we're going to make a policy <laughs> for this construct. And if you don't fit into that construct, it's too bad. It, it, again, it helps no one.
1: Yeah, if I I may, like, go in here. And it actually becomes more absurd because when you see uh, non-white people in segregated areas in Sweden, it's hilarious because... uh, Hilarious sounds extremely sad that they start associating with the black experience in America. Like, so many people, you know, will go around and rap about how hard their life is, how the hardships of their history, and you're like, your parents came here, they got the free house, free education, you have all the possibilities in the world, you have a world-class, like, we have all the opportunities here, and you speak about how you're oppressed, speak, talk about... Um, uh, cultural, um, like, taking someone's culture. You have no right to say that your experience is such as people in America who ha- have been subjects to, to, to institutional racism for many, many years and have, like, embedded in their culture their the racism quite a lot, actually. And, and people here who have free free college like free university and we get paid for going to university for 5 years we get we get paid for that and you're going to tell me that you're oppressed and don't have the opportunity to get any work you want oh my god i get so frustrated when i hear that because it first of all it it's like it it relativizes the real issue many black americans have and many minorities in america have and second of all It victimizes oneself that the the, the responsibility for the individual goes away completely. It becomes like, oh, it's actually uh, a few percentage points less likely for a person who's non-white to get a job than a white person. Yeah, but it's 0% chance for you to get the job if you don't apply. (laughs) And I just get so frustrated because Sweden is... Many people speak about the American dream. If there's any country you can make a class travel and with ease and with support and it's just amazing, it's Sweden. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's like you, know, that, that's just it, like I understand oppression. I've I've seen, you know, like I, I go back to India every now and then visit my family. I've seen real poverty, you know, and I don't I don't want to take away from someone who's living in poverty in Canada, the United States, right? But I've seen, like, real horrific poverty. I've seen some horrific, yeah. like, I I spent almost seven years in Afghanistan. You know, I've some horrific stuff there. I was in Sudan. I was in Haiti. I, you know, like, I've seen some pretty bad conditions and stuff. And to come back here and, you know, oh, my God, they set the AC in my office too low. It's sexism and misogyny. <laughs> really? That's where we're at. We, you know, I think it's great, like what you mentioned in your article, that we should be applauding the fact that we've fit, we've gotten rid of so much of the other stuff that we have the luxury to talk about how ACs are sexist. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's actually a good thing. I mean, yeah, compared to the women in Iran, you know, I think the women in Iran <laughs> would love to be at the point where they can complain about you know air conditioning. <laughs> yeah uh, look, no
1: it's, it's actually yeah no go ahead sir no it's I'm just I was gonna agree with you, like when it comes to for example, sexism and especially democracy and liberalism, mm-hmm. people cannot stop fighting for these values because it's not a given in any any community, mm-hmm. even in America with democracy in a sense real democracy was originated i know greece was it Mm. but like it's actually the first country to actually democratize itself and become a nation of democracy and liberalism and even there it's not a given that we're gonna wake up tomorrow with a democracy and liberal state and it's very important that we keep fighting for these values and never let them be something we take for granted
0: yeah and I think on that note, end because that's pretty much what I say, you have to be vigilant. You don't have to be dogmatic and, you you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to beat people over the head with it. I think if you just give them the choice between freedom and, you know, some form of authoritarianism, they're going to p- choose the freedom. Anyway, like I said, I don't want to take like you t- too long. Um, if you have anything else you want to talk about, uh, if you want to let people know where you can get a hold of you, I'll put the link to your article in the description and I'll put your, like your, your, your social media in the description. So
1: yeah. and go ahead. No, it's, uh, thank you for having me. Um, Omer, it was actually a real pleasure to talk to you and, uh, yeah. Uh, keep up the great work with your podcast. Oh,
0: thank you very much. And I uh, yeah, you for coming on. And like, I said, I love that article and yeah. Okay. Next time maybe we can talk about a- Ayn Rand if you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you think I got heated this conversation, you should see.
0: <laughs> okay. Sorry. I just, just one last, What's the fascination with her? She's such an awful writer. I
1: mean, she, like, I don't, don't get me started. Oh my god, I, I actually read one of her books in, in, in before, and fuck, ah, like I can't oh. even criticize her. What comes out is just screams. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm just no, 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 screeching. No. Oh, sorry about I, I... her horribleness. Yeah, but she can't
0: write. Like I read The Fountainhead in university, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, well, this is crap.
1: enough of that. I'll let you go. Thanks again. It was a lot of fun. And thanks everyone for listening.